And welcome to the Dice of Screaming podcast. Oh. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And that was Mike there. So, yeah, that was really good, man. Oh, you like that? Mm. Almost slightly operatic? Oh, you know, it's always different, but yet it's always thrilling to hear. <laughs> Never get tired of it. I don't. But, uh, yeah. Thank you, Doc Severson. <laughs> All right, Paul, can we get some show opening music? Yeah, you know. Cat walking across the keyboard, got it. All right. No, it, here we are once again. Uh, this week's podcast lies before us yet. Oh, yeah. Well, but we had some marvelous call-ins, too. Yes, we did. And so we'll get to them in just a minute. We just want to hope that you're doing all right out there. Staying safe and uh, keeping the distance and doing all those things. Uh, please stay safe out there. It is a dangerous world. and Yeah, we are uh, uh, true to... Hey, personally, I doubted that it, the second wave theory was going to be as severe as people had claimed. But, uh, yeah. I mean, Here we are. Yeah, things have, have spiked dramatically, particularly in southwest Michigan. Uh, so, yeah, as it turns out, the, the warnings were quite appropriate. Uh, so I definitely hope all of our listeners uh, at least, you know. Uh, wear a mask. Wherever Practice you are. Practice social distancing uh, and wash your hands. Because we, we enjoy... Uh, that you listen, and we enjoy hearing your voice, and we certainly look forward to making it to 2021 uh, intact and unscathed, uh, and all of us will cheer together as one when we at last have this conquered. Well, we all keep distant, so yeah, and we can I meet again. Pfizer is, uh, you know, uh, which our neighboring city of Kalamazoo is home to Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. So uh, there's some promising stuff coming out. Yeah, there's a vaccine so uh, in the works. So hopefully that'll uh, mellow and this out. And I take- know this is shallow, but uh, the biggest thing for me was the idea of remembering uh, that although this will be a process of many months, uh, this is the kind of thing that holds the promise of being back at gaming tables again. Okay, being back in a comic shop with like six, seven people around a table doing what I love the most because that is what COVID stole from me. And I, I know that that is petty of me because in many cases it has stolen the lives of loved ones from other people. And their loss is obviously far greater than my own. But what's been taken from me was the hobby that I love in many respects. Uh, online is is a substitute but it's just not a true replacement and man the day is coming where we will have it back well i put it up on my facebook page but it's worth repeating that we distance now so we can gather later yeah we need looking forward to being back at the table with the people i love we caught it just right at the peak calhoun county here where we reside here um in game we had a uh group meeting here weekly and in my house and uh, we decided to go into quarantine and go back online just in time uh, two of our members have been infected one previous and now another one and uh yeah it's it's not getting in the numbers are just they keep going up and uh we can't stress this enough folks just please practice safety and distancing and Hygiene, that's the biggest things right there that will help bring this to heal. Um, Yes, a vaccine is on the way, but, you know, just having another round of quarantine coming up or isolation. Some people haven't been out of it. And, uh, you know, it's it's taken a toll on all of us. I know that. 
But uh, we're going to try to hold and keep the foam fires burning here and hold the line and uh, in our own way. And we just encourage everybody just to be safe and practice common sense. Yeah, do as uh, do what thou can. I because man, I am sure looking forward to you know the combined effort of uh, vaccines and you know uh, a serious national effort uh, to contact trace and quarantine and reduce uh, wide spreading or you know the fast spread of the virus, which. Uh, Man, I, it was just very rough to to see those numbers spike. Uh, yeah, I did not. I honestly, I'm going to be incredibly, brutally self honest about this. I personally believed the threat of a second major wave was overblown. Okay, I I didn't think it was complete bunk. That is not what I meant. You know, sure. But I believed that it was being pushed harder than was entirely factual for the very good purpose of trying to convince people to make the extra effort. Uh, so I thought it might have been a little bit disingenuous, but there was a good reason for it. I was wrong. I completely blew it. Uh, you know, this second wave has proven that, uh, wow, you know, uh, inadequate precautions and all of a sudden it spikes. So here we are again, uh, staring down the barrel of of like being right back at the drawing board again. Yep, and like I said, we're we just... We were doing so well, just like yep, we 60 just think... days ago, we were in awesome town because Michigan got hit hard early on and then at, many people said we overreacted, but we went from like the third worst state in crisis to somewhere around between the 18th and 24th uh, when it was, you know, once we had enacted everything. And hey, man... Uh, you know, only losing eight to twenty-five people per day is far better than losing hundreds. Uh, and now it appears that uh, we have skyrocketed back up to uh, the second worst in the country as of yesterday. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everyone, uh, we love you all. Please take care. Yeah, there's plenty of finger pointing to go. Um, it's pretty obvious where it comes from, so we're not going to say any more about that. Yeah, it's. Uh, as I said before, please, please practice common sense, safety, and consideration. And we'll not only get through this, but we'll be able to recover in good order. Um, yeah. So, yeah, some fun stuff. Uh, gaming. Yeah, we got that. And uh, last week we talked about Earth Dawn. We did uh, kind of stretch a little bit trying to explain some of the mechanics. And it's one of those things where it's easier to read than and point to an example on a page than it is to kind of break it down into words to speak over online and keep it concise and focused. So that's where we're at. And, uh, you know, one of the things we lost was uh, Mike was lamenting as we were uh, breaking up for the night that we didn't get a chance to talk about the mechanics and uh, the, some of the intrinsic well, features. In, in slightly greater detail, there were some specific parts of the mechanics. Yeah, that... and, you know, basically, you know, it's got the same six attributes you might be familiar with. And, you know, generation can be either done by dice or uh, by point by, however you want. But uh, it was nice to hear that a lot of people responded positively to this. So yeah. I'm glad that if this uh, you learned from Earth Dawn or got a more insightful, We'll look at Earth Dawn from our podcast. Hey, 
Uh, that's uh, where we were aiming for, and we succeeded in that. Certainly, we are advocates for that particular game because we have enjoyed it a number of times ourselves, and uh, uh, it certainly brings a lot to the table. I'm so glad to hear that, that as we heard in a call, uh, which we, we will uh, do momentarily, uh, I was very happy to hear that it was included in a, a person's uh, podcast list of like best games ever. Yeah. Because uh, it certainly deserves to be included in such a list. It is one of the best games. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the as we mentioned in too. that. It doesn't that, get the credit it deserves. So we mentioned in uh, the podcast itself, There, it's been on several lists. Uh, Rick Swan's Guide to Role Playing and uh, Lauren Schick uh, also put it up there pretty high. So, Excellent. yeah. I'm but as Mike foreshadowed, we have some call-ins to get to. So you have stumbled into the call-in zone. So if this is your first time in the call-in zone, relax. Just let it happen. So <laughs> without further ado, welcome to the call-ins. Hey guys, Jason here. Really enjoyed your Earth Dawn episode. That's a game I never played back in the day. I had Shadowrun 2nd Edition, I think, but we always played Cyberpunk 2020. I don't think we even ever played Shadowrun. I, like I said, I've, got, I've still got the book, but and I never checked out Earth Dawn. Now I want to, so I'll check that out. Um, I, I also hope you were able to track down and watch The Manitou and The Beast Must Die because they're great movies. Um, well, you'll appreciate them. They, depending who watches them, they may not think they're great movies, but they're, they're fun movies. So, anyhow, talk to you later. Yo, what up, boys? Calling you from my deck when it's hella stormy outside. Well, not really stormy. It's just really windy and rainy. No thunder or anything. But anyway, I got really excited when I saw you were doing Earth Dawn because I just heard of it for the first time a week or two weeks ago on uh, the Adventuring Party podcast. <clears throat> they talked about it a little bit because they're doing a, a, a tournament of the best role-playing games of all time, and it was on the list. And it sounded super interesting when they mentioned it was a prequel of the Shadow Run. So I'm really, really excited that you guys are doing a deep dive on it. So thanks for that. You guys are rad. Keep up the great work. And I will talk to you later. Peace out. It's Jason and Joe. It's Jason and Joe. That's right. And thank you guys for your consideration and considerate call-in time. Taking time out of your day. It's good to hear from you, Joe. Yeah, where you been, man? Uh, glad to see you're still alive Round and kicking, and we're kind of getting worried. Some people ask me because uh, we had that uh, during the uh, quarantine, we couldn't get face to face. And technical issues aside, it was hard for us to get a podcast rolling together. So yeah, a couple people asked me, and I was kind of starting to wonder if I'm going to have to send out a search party for Joe. But here he is; he shows right up. Oh yeah, with hindsightlessness. Yes. So yeah, uh, glad you enjoyed that, and uh, glad that uh, our floundering. Yeah, we flounder like two fat fish on dry land. Uh, yeah, we flounder around on that, but you managed to get the gist of it. So glad that you were able to get some use out of it. And yeah, hey, Jason, thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, still working on that movie stuff. Yeah, Manitou and... I already watched Manitou. Okay. Yeah, I, but I, I, Tony Curtis, I, I thought it was in Seattle, but uh, we looked it up on Wikipedia, and yeah, it, it's in San Francisco. For some or whatever reason, I thought yeah, it was in Seattle. Yeah, well, I recognized, because I, I had been to the city of San Francisco a couple of times uh, with the ex years ago, because uh, they got family out in California, so I saw those streets, and it was just like, click, oh man, I hiked through there with like, uh, I had a dislocated kneecap two days before the trip. 
<laughs> was not going to cancel because those those are not a, those are not cheap tickets back at the time. So uh, <laughs> I hiked to those streets while in a you know, like knee brace wrap in agony. <laughs> oh man! And hey, speaking of Steve McQueen and Bullet, okay, mm-hmm. I know we weren't speaking of it, but uh, I'm going to no. make us speak of it now. Uh, the person who picked us up from the airport one time uh, <laughs> in this tiny little, uh, one of those itty-bitty little electric-looking eggmobile things, just uh-huh. tiny car, uh, pulled off some balls-out Steve McQueen-level moves getting us from the airport to where he wanted to go. And as I'm being, you know, terrorized in, like, I thought we were in a drift car race, Okay. Uh, and I'm just being shaken, not stirred in the back seat of this thing. And I literally hunkered down at some point because it had gotten so crazy. I mean, I'm talking about like jumping up on curbs and driving around people and uh, holy crap. I thought, you know, like, oh, like this guy must be on drugs. We're going to die. It turned out he really just had to go to the bathroom really badly. <laughs> well, yeah, but, um... but great movie. Uh, for yeah, its time period, it was enormous fun to watch, and I, I know it doesn't qualify as like a classic. We're not talking like the legendary Vincent Price or uh, you know Peter Cushing or, or stuff like that. No, it's a different different kind of vibe. But it was a, a little with a camp, a whole lot of fun, uh, and man, you know, better production values than uh, I, I would say a, a lot of the. Worse B grade outings, but some some very fun material in the Manitou. I will eventually catch up with the Beast Must Die, uh, and then I will have something to say on that. But at least I've seen the Manitou now. Okay. So uh, yeah, back to where I completely derailed this. Uh, yeah, Steve McQueen was a totally appropriate reference because of how I, far off course yeah, we, that that race went. It was a magical journey. So, yeah, back to uh, the Manitou. Um, yeah, I thought it, it, when some bizarre uh, timeline had merged with ours and overtaken it, that it was in uh, Seattle. I, for some reason, the needle loomed large in my mind for that one. I don't know why. Well, that was, uh... But uh, either way, uh, yeah, it, I, Mike's much fairer to it than I am. It's a TV movie of the week for me. Tony Curtis uh, puts an amazing performance in that you would not expect. But I don't know if I would say it was campy. I I think it was serious in its tone and approach and definitely kind of... I Maybe I got the camp thing because, I mean... Yeah, you know, I, I would just say that... I was catching gay vibes off Tony Curtis all the way through before I realized it was Tony Curtis. Uh, so well, I, you know, it's Tony Curtis. Yeah. I mean, I mean he did Vikings with Ernest Borgnine and... Uh, yeah. And, and Kirk, uh, Kirk Douglas. I'm not picking on Tony Curtis. Well, you shouldn't. Yeah. He'll pick right back on you. Yeah, he's the guy, the legendary actor of yesteryear. It's not a diss. No, 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 but anyway. Just saying, it might have been like the combined setting of San Francisco, and it it was a particular scene. Uh, Oh, okay. He he, he just got done with work, you know. And he's he's cracking open the beer and pouring it in like a goblet, and uh, you know he's got the ice cold beer yeah, in the goblet. Yeah. And as he's doing that, like he's just almost half dancing, because uh, he's so happy to be done with his day, and this is his chill out moment. Uh, and there was just something a little off there, where I was just like, what, what, you know, I, 
Uh, maybe the San Francisco is an appropriate setting. Yeah. So, <laughs> just throwing it out there. But yeah, it was, it was an. Uh, it, it's excellent from that point of view of being in the late seventies. That it kind of I caught it on the old TV forty seven around here, legendary uh, late night movie. Uh, yeah. Free fest back in the day, and you know I was like really uh, enthralled with it at the time, and uh, it kind of struck me. It gave me that uh, vibe of, yeah, you know, it was the movie of the week sort of thing from that you would catch back in the day. But yeah, that's probably something that very few people remember these days. Um, the other one, uh, the Beast Must Die. I watched it a number of years ago, really young. But yeah, it, it did stick out to me as one of those big thrillers and, you know, definitely put the fear of the werewolf in me when I was a youngin. Uh, probably a little too young to be watching some of those movies, to be honest, but uh, oh, what sure. the heck. Oh, well, what good is late night television if you don't watch something that you probably shouldn't have? Huh. Yeah, uh, Scaredy Cats, uh, you know, definitely was well, my grandfather would call me a scaredy cat because I'd hide behind the couch when it got too intense for me. But, you know, that was my safe place. That was my time out. That was me managing my own expectations. So I think in a weird way, he was uh, kind of proud that I was that brave to stay up. I was going to get the pants scared off me. At least I gave it a running. Uh, I gave it a go and gave it a running try. So nonetheless, uh yeah, thanks for that. And Kept coming back for more. Yeah, I never, I never quite kicked the habit of uh, horror films. That adrenaline rush definitely fueled me for much more. All the way up to Alien, that scared me half to death. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try going to sleep in a dark house on that one with uh, during a windy night. Yeah, that's not easy. Alien. It's, yeah, yeah, Alien, well. the very first one. Yeah. I went to go see the late showing on it, snuck in, and um, it was at theater. We got back out and into uh, the night. Uh, coming back, man, you can just imagine that thing just lurking anywhere. <laughs> because it literally came out of nowhere, you know, all the scenes. So, well, you know, your imagination. Those, those chest bursters, man. That is. You know, that didn't bother me as much as just the uh, really? the hiss that it made. That. That was a little unnerving. It wasn't as, you know, later I would hear crocodile or crocodators, alligators. And, um, yeah, and, crocodile yeah. hiss is something else. Yeah, it's. Uh, and just a hint for you. Uh, I'm not sure if I if I told this story on, oh boy, on here. here we go. And I'm not going to tell it. I'm not going to oh, tell all oh. of it. But I, I am going to hit the high point, which is if you've ever been in, I mean, physically in a pond full of gators to do a rescue. Uh, you know, to, to rescue gators during a snowstorm. Um, that hiss is one of the most disconcerting things. Yeah, I've ever... I, well, all right, fine. Yeah. All right, when I was uh, I, staying I with a friend... I feel your pain, dude. When I, when I first encountered one sitting on, and in the middle of a uh, community, and it was just taking its time there, and it was a mama gator warning me, and you see all those red eyes <laughs> and green eyes staring back at you, you realize you're surrounded... And just one of them hisses. That's all you need to hear. You go right back in. <laughs> I went out there. Cause never mind. <laughs> yeah, never mind. It's not important. <laughs> I had to go take care of some stuff, but uh, it's not as important as saving my life. So, yeah, I think I just did it right there. So, yeah, the, the hiss of that thing uh, kind of bothered me. And um, I don't know, just one of those things. It was uh, later, of course, you know, you get used to it and then. Like, oh, yeah, well, that's a great movie to be scared. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm quite uh, pleased to say that, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. 
you haven't hid under your covers for fear of dear life at strange shadows moving outside of your window. Yeah. After watching Aliens late at night. Oh, sh- Alien at the movie theater. You get dropped out back at home and there's nobody home but you. Ugh. All right. So, yeah, that's uh, something we talk about as we're done with the spooky season. So that was a good topic. So thanks for bringing that to us. Uh, we definitely got a lot of mileage out of it. So, But anyway, we, yeah, we did uh, end up wanting to talk about other things. We just ramble around. No, no, yeah. we've, we've got... I topic. like to say we meander, but uh, yeah, we do ramble around. We, we ramble on, uh, not as skillfully as uh, Led Zeppelin. Well, we've got uh, Plant and Page, you know, and Bottom Guard. But, you know, we love them. Me too. So, you know, we, we honor the memory by rambling on. Yeah, so uh, we don't have any advertisements to get to, and we're all done with that, so we're just going to tear right into our topic for tonight, so... Let that kimono fly free. Throw it to the wind. You know, and there was no unnecessarily gratuitous kimono fluttering today. I, no. You know, we, we just have a topic that... Uh, I just I'm, wanted to I'm run actually, our mouths. I'm pretty happy about it. Mm. This one meant something to me. I, I, I had the notion to do this mm-hmm. uh, because I really felt like there was a connection between the early days of the game, of, of D&D and of RPGs in general... Uh, and a person who uh, kind of was astride all the different eras, from the the recollections of the very early days to participation in the middle days uh, to being with us right here and now in the most modern days. Uh, And it was totally worth it to do a feature on Jolly Blackburn. Yeah, Jolly Blackburn, and by default... Uh, Ken Zirko, and by also vicariously with Knights of the Dinner Table. But uh, you could do a whole subsection on Ken Zirko and Knights of the Dinner Table and take up a whole evening's of topics. So we're not going to get too far off in the weeds of those, but it is sufficient to say that Jolly Blackburn is well known for his comic strip, Knights of the Dinner Table. Yeah. This, I, man. Uh, and it, it's basically a happy accident. Okay, a guy uh, is, you know, editing a magazine and doesn't have a cartoon for the back. And here he's just, like, plumbing the depths of his mind. They don't have anybody who can make a cartoon. And so, being the sort of person who's like, well, if there's no other way to do it, then by God, I'll do it myself, did a cartoon. He made his own little hand-drawn strip. And yes, it was not very pretty. Yeah, he sat down and he drew a very crude cartoon of a harried game master afflicted by his players over a rule call. And so it began. And, uh, you know, he listed uh, Phineas Fingers from Dragon Magazine and others uh, as inspiration, but he couldn't find anybody to do that strip. So, you know, he was doing Shaddis. And as I understand it, he was doing it while still in the military in the reserves but uh that doesn't really mean a whole lot because uh reservists do a whole hell of a lot of work oh my gosh yeah reserves and guard uh were like heavily activated during that time period yeah and Uh, tend to lean on but um now this at this moment he's just doing a tiny little comic strip uh for one magazine and it's badly drawn so how could this have possibly manifested later 
into this enormous thing. Uh, and one of the linchpin points that I, I really got to come out of the gate and make first is that Jolly did something that I don't think any other gaming cartoonist uh, or even amateur gaming cartoonist had, had really twigged to yet. He may not have been a great artist, but he succeeded anyway. He, he got noticed. People kept going, that was fantastic, dude. We want more of that. Uh, can you do more of this? Can you do more of this? Because he genuinely connected to the early gamer experience. Uh, the early strips of Knights of the Dinner Table captured the essence of what gamers, both DM and player alike, go through at the table. The, the awkward moments, the complications, the surprises, uh, the disappointments, uh, the love of the game, the stories that we wind up laughing about and telling at our own tables with our select clique of friends. The comic strip that he drew spelled out a world where he was sharing those inside table jokes of that group. Uh, and it made sense to everybody else who was a, a long-standing gamer. And that garnered him instant acclaim, at least in our little limited circle. Well, I think it was far outside our circle, too. That It, was, it took a while for us to catch up to it. I mean, I kind of... Oh, yeah, he'd been around for a, quite a few years. Uh. Yeah, well, I mean, he split... Um, uh, he published Shadis, and I seen a couple of things on Shadis, but, you know, that just wasn't my scene at the time. I was, I liked the games I liked, and I kind of, you know, every once in a while would dig through uh, the other magazines, but that, that scene was drying up, man. The uh, whole gaming mags, I mean, there was, Dragon was basically the, the magazine, maybe oh, Dungeon, yeah. and, you know, Pyramid and some of the others, you know, they, they were around, but, you know, I'm just going to say it. I took them for granted. I never thought that, uh, you know, that there would ever come a time that their scarcity or their lack of availability would be noticed. And, you know, much to my chagrin, you know, after, especially after White Dwarf just turned into a house organ. But that's a different story because there was a lot of good comics in White Dwarf. Oh, back in the day. The sure. Traveler uh, series is one of my favorites to ah. catch that one up. It's just the wind. And uh, <laughs> best, best outline ever. Uh. Was that also the one we got the... Sir, the fecal matter is about to impact upon the surface of the oscillating rotary cooling device. No, that was a different one. That oh, okay. <laughs> that super literal robot was hilarious. Yeah, the, uh, somebody was doing a fan art of uh, the next generation. And uh, instead of data, I forget what they used to call them. A bit or... Uh, input or... Yeah, something like that. And then... You know, he was a clone off of him. A bad one at that. Lacked at all these sophisticated programming. But anyway, yeah, Jolly uh, only intended that little strip to go for just a couple Yeah, he was uh, just trying issues. to do a holdover. And he finally, they finally got big enough, and he was uh, Shadows was getting off the ground and was starting to be noticed. And then he pulled it, and then people like wrote in, like, why did you pull Knights of the Dinner Table? And he's like, oh, it was a terrible comic. And, you know, he was the first one to admit that he doesn't understand... <laughs> what the big deal is, you know, he, he just like, oh, you know, people have come up to him and like, where did you come up for it? He's like, well, it was just, you know, experiences of 
of gaming that I've witnessed and, and been a part of. And that's the that's the key right there. From the gazebo to <laughs> Fireball coming online, VA. You know, those battle cries resonate because you always know that there's always that guy at the table that, uh, you know, he's the power gamer and he knows all the rules and he can quote them verse, but he can't find his car keys or hold down a steady job. <laughs> you or... Know. or the uh, other classic gamer archetype, which totally guilty of this myself, the guy who carts every last stick of furniture out of a dungeon, uh, trying to turn yeah, a rock. Yeah, they, yeah, they're they're conglomerate the, personalities. The, like, yeah, he's the ultimate one. He knows the value of every piece of furniture in the dungeon, and he's going to extract maximum profit. I'm going to get two hundred gold pieces a piece for these blood birch armoires. You know, you know, rare blood birches, man. You know, those trees just don't grow. You know, overnight. Takes years to raise them, um, <laughs> but uh, from and then there's the angry and frustrated gamer Bob, you know, who's always, always upset about something outside of the game and takes out his frustrations in the game. He's here to shoot it with his crossbow and take no prisoners. <laughs> I waste him with my crossbow. <laughs> what? I, I, they did nothing to merit that. You don't know. Could be a spy. I just don't like the shifty look of him. Yeah. He was smiling openly at you and waving hello. You don't think that's suspicious in itself? He doesn't know me from Adam. What's he trying to lure me into? I had to take him out. Yeah, This. these are the trials DMs deal with, with cranky players uh, and radically different player personalities. Uh, you wind up with those moments of conflict at the table where it's player versus player, with the DM winding up being a mediator in the middle of the game. Uh, it just captured all the experiences that so many older gamers have like had years of collecting in their memory. Uh, and man, did Jolly Blackburn turn those into comic gold. Yeah, and here's the weird thing is that the strange paths you take in life. He set out to start a gaming magazine. Not to be uh, too philosophical about it, but he ended up becoming a cartoonist. He never wanted to draw. He always considered his characters crude. Yeah. but He had no illusions. The, here's the thing is that in being crude, you cartooning is always viewed from the view of fine art as the <laughs> low end. But in truth... Cartooning has taken years for many people to master. It requires a substantial knowledge of anatomy and spacing, as well as perspective. Now, that's the modern era. And so you, it'd be easy to look at Charles Schultz's early Peanuts, sure. which he's based off the Yellow Kid and other things, as kind of crude and shallow. But it's the story that made the Peanuts and the Bingo. Yellow Kid... A good analogy, dude. You know, that, Peanuts is you know, a good comparison. Yellow Kid is so full very of detail and it's, it's almost extravagant in its illustration because that's the era it was. There were a lot of illustrators. We didn't have a lot of photo photography then. And so it wasn't that people are simpler, but their expectations were different. So when an illustrator had to show something in a cartoon, they had to show everything. I mean, you had, you couldn't leave very you could not leave much to the imagination. Yeah, this was what uh, eventually drove guys like uh, 
Burke breathed and uh, Bill Waterston uh, from Bloom County and uh, Calvin and Hobbes, respectively, out of the cartooning uh, business. Calvin and Hobbes, my... Because the limitations of print were so great. I mean, you could not create the things that you really love. And they did it. They did their jobs. They met their commitments. But when they got the chance to stop and just go, you know what, I'd like to do stuff that I really love now. They did. Well, you know, Bill Watterson, I think, did everything he could do with oh, that media. Sure. Um, I I don't know about Burt Breathen. I Personally, I'm not a big fan of Bloom County, but I mean, it's got its moments. It definitely, Bill the Cat is the anti-Garfield, and just like <laughs> Rat Pink, if you know who I'm talking about with Big Daddy Roth. Yeah. Uh, much like Rat Pink is a middle finger to Mickey Mouse, um, yeah. Bill the Cat from Bloom <laughs> County is an F you ah! to <laughs> Garfield. I respect the hell out of that. Now, uh, but anyway, we're getting off. Yeah, yeah. the point is that uh, cartooning uh, oftentimes... Uh, well, it's back does not, it requires that, like, you set the stage, you display everything, and there's this impetus upon you to meet a certain standard. And I know Mr. Blackburn has always felt very shy yeah. about implications that, like, you know, how come you hate your own work so much? Well, yeah, he's his own worst critic, but let's face it, uh, he owes his success to the fact that he was his own worst critic. He pushed himself very hard to try to do better. He's, well, here's the and big thing. And he was thing boxed was into a corner. The demand was just so great. He was consistent. And that's the only thing that's required in cartooning is consistency. And maybe he was just reusing panels and just would basically have two talking characters oh, yeah. in the same pose over and over. But that's all you needed to get the gist down because the, the cartooning or the illustration wasn't the catch. It was the comedy and the drama... And the implications were in the situations that developed. And at that, he is a master storyteller. And I think yes. where he tried to get himself into a new position to be, you know, a, a publisher, he ended up being a publisher of a comic. And, uh, you know, when he got with Kenzer, they, they brung all this stuff up, bundles of trouble and stuff like that. It came full circle, though, that he actually was able to make a version of Hackmaster, which... The, the mock version of Dungeons & Dragons. Ah. <laughs> uh. And Rollmaster. It's with, an amalgam of multiple games. With from... 15 crit tables for yeah. Fireball. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've got three different tables for each type of the Fireballs. Well, count me in. Yeah. Uh, a, a caricature of gaming itself. Hackmaster was his, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, non-copyrighted name uh, for the gaming system that the Knights of the Dinner Table play. Uh, and he was able to publish his own version of it. Uh, and ultimately, this led to also publishing a great many other things, including the Kingdoms of Calamar uh, you know, campaign settings. Yeah, and which uh, are terrific, Aces and Eights yeah. uh, West game, which is his love letter to Boot Hill. But yeah, and so the what? guy has... He eventually worked his way up uh, to being a major contributor to uh, actual gaming itself, not merely a chronicler of the foibles of players and DMs, uh, which what a magnificent journey to have made. Yeah. I, I'm always full of admiration about that. You know, I, I've uh, had the pleasure of talking with him several times, and like I said oh, before, well. we got pulled into the cartoonist, which is eh, kind of thing of mine, um, being a comic geek, but. Shadis, when I first picked up a copy and I, I plumbed through it, it had a Greyhawk cover on it. I think it was Shadis 8. And I opened up the back and I seen 
that there was a Knights of the Gentile comic. And I immediately cracked up and I passed it around to all my friends. I'm like, look at this, look at this. It's funny. It's, man, this is. <laughs> was it the gazebo? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I've, it's been so long. Um, I, I don't remember. It's not that uh, it wasn't. Um, it's not an insult to anybody that I don't remember. It's just I read so much afterwards. And I would go and look for back issues. And I got one through four of the Knights of the Deer Table. And then, you know, I found out that now he was publishing uh, his own. And then got to meet him. Uh, we got several pictures. Of, yeah, at Gen Con. Uh, yeah, including uh, him putting me in a headlock. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> and then all of us... Uh, uh, with finger guns pointing at him for whatever reason. I don't know why we did that. I think there was some joke that we were doing. But yeah, he, he's always approachable. He's super friendly because at heart, he's a gamer. And, uh, you know, if you follow him on Facebook or Twitter, uh, he's always very open and easy to talk to. And there's a sly... I sometimes gather that still waters run deep. He's kind of self-effacing. And when he talks about his kind of self-hate of his own art... I've always been like, oh, man, come on. You know, it's... Look, his art is nothing to shake a great stick at, and because it was very arduous and difficult for him, he found as many ways as possible to recycle uh, as many images as possible so that he did not have to painstakingly hand-draw these crude characters all the freaking time. Uh, like yeah, well, you know, computer... He was, He's very yeah. computer-savvy, and... Uh... And that having been said, the thing that he's really crafting is a story and characters, and that... He does expertly because when he crafts stories about gamers and the games they play, he's talking about what he knows best. And man, does he deliver. Uh, I, I just want to uh, give one sample of uh, a particularly noteworthy story. Uh, when we mention the gazebo, uh, it was a particular strip involving the DM describing a garden to the characters. And in the center of the garden stands a gazebo. Uh, and the players having that wordplay moment where they just truly, like, perhaps this, this was too much English language for them. They're not that bright. Yeah. Uh, they think they're bright, but they're not quite as bright as they think. Uh, they don't know what a gazebo is. They assume instantly that it is some form of monster and take instant Obscure umbrage. one out of the back of some... Yeah, you know, they probably cooked this appendix. up. Appendix. Yeah, you know, cooked this up from some, like, off-the-books material and snuck it in there. Like, oh, peaceful garden. Yeah, sure. And they prepare to attack while the, you know, poor B.A., the dungeon master, has... He, he's dumbfounded. He's listen. I don't know what else to call it. There's, uh, it's... Uh, it's a gazebo. It's not attacking you. It's just standing there because it's Well, a I shoot it with my crossbow. With a, I load up a plus three bolt of devastation. I shoot the gazebo. What does it do? It just sits there. Oh, I know. It's just sitting there. Oh, my gosh. What do we... Yeah, I mean... I launch a fireball. <laughs> okay, the gazebo burns to the ground. woo Yeah, one more for the untouchable trio. And they move on with their night. Convinced, he's like, I don't have the heart to tell them what a gazebo really is. It's like the time they lynched that green Davenport. They're really happy. So, yeah, you don't go with it. Yeah, you know. How many experience points is that gazebo worth? Oh, <sighs> not that much. Zero. What? That's when the real outcry will hit. No, uh, oh, That's also when Tyrus hit the pavement the, on that one. The terror they experienced when he described an approaching, or a, a whistling zephyr. Uh, and 
They immediately, as players, unilaterally covered their ears to protect themselves from, you know, some form of sonic attack designed Whistling to lure them Zephyr. To oh, yeah. One of your cracked up homebrew monsters. All right. Thanks a lot, Z. Yeah. So the silly antics of players, the, the occasional moments of treachery and overwhelming greed and hubris. Uh, they just reminded us of all the silly things that happened at tables uh, over the years for all of us. And Jolly captured it expertly. Yeah, and over the years, his covers from Knights of the Dinner Table have really homaged and satirized some of the greats of the moment. There's some. Oh, yeah. There's some Spider-Man, Captain America, Speedy, and uh, Green Arrow. Stuff down there, they had you know the infamous Speedy, you know, with the heroin. Oh, and there was a lot of homaging even early in the Knights of the Dinner Table because they play all kinds of games. Sometimes they need a little break from their favorite game, Hackmaster, and they play Cattle Punk. Cattle Punk, yeah, their Boot Hill homage. Yeah, that's pretty much sums up Boot Hill in a nutshell. Cattle Punk, yeah, it's so damn lethal that you might as well just have a ream of character sheets at the ready <laughs> because you're gonna die. And in Jolly Blackburn's Cattle Punk. Whatever you do, do not mess with Red Gertie Pickens. Yeah, you're <laughs> never gonna. You're the, never the piano gonna get player in the saloon is not to be tinkered with. Yeah, for whatever <laughs> reason, they always picked on that poor piano player. Uh, shot that poor uh, sob, and then he turned out to be some badass because, well, you know, uh, the idea is is that he wasn't really. It's one of those DM tricks where you think, you know, okay, I'm going to teach my players a lesson, but. Uh, it's B.A. who's the one who never learns because there's no lesson to be learned here. They're just going to do what they do. And if something <laughs> annoys them or seems to in any way threaten them, they're going to attack it because they exist in this make-believe world where there's no consequences. And poor B.A. trying to teach them the meaning of consequences of their actions, it always turns badly out, out badly for him. And, uh, you know, he's trying to plot armor his NPCs. They're like, oh, well, he didn't just have 20 hit points. He had 240 hit points. Okay, well, yeah, all right. So, yeah, they're the <laughs> DM. Nobody can see behind the screen. And there's all these kind of allegations and uh, of cheating and DM treachery and changing stats. And also a weird kind of dichotomy where in the hackverse, where I guess these guys uh, play and game in, there's these larger-than-life personalities like Gary Gygax, like Gary Jackson and JoJo Zeke and all these others who make these games and, you know, publish them for people. And, you know, the mythology of these great masters of gaming are that they're just a bunch of chuckleheads themselves not knowing what they're doing from moment to moment. For instance, like... A recent panel that Jolly just talked about was uh, there's a character, Jojo Zeke, who's the main game designer. He's the nuts and bolts guy. And he decided that he submitted in the rules that 24% uh, was the percentage for partial corpses to be resurrected. The partial corpses <laughs> could be you get 24%. And then Gary like, Jackson like took a, his red pen and just kind of changed it to 23.25 with no explanation. So, you know, throughout <laughs> gamers, you know, it's like, so, uh, according to the rules, if you have at least 23.25% of a dead character's remains, a reconstituted res spell can be attempted. So, I guess we're going to have to get some gunny sacks and a shovel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like if, uh, uh, you know, if a person was bitten uh, in two parts by a dragon, and then it, it went back for seconds and, like, left behind you know, just at least 
more than 23.25% of the body, you've got enough to do a resurrection. And that's the But whole... an arm or a leg alone will not be enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's the point we're at is that, you know, what why do they make these rules so obscure? And that's where we were with first edition. So, sure. you know, we were so traumatized by that because like you would have to figure out why in the world was this bizarre percentage there? You didn't know if they were messing with you or there was a purpose to it. Like, why would you make this bizarre formula because for overbearing grappling and pummeling rules? Why was there this big... Why was it so hard? Why did they have to come up with such a bizarre, complicated system? When the rest of AD&D First Edition was abstract. Roll a die to hit and consult this chart on a positive to negative AC value. Oh. And, you know, variables yeah. with weapons versus armor type. And Oh, my goodness. Okay, you know, I'm remembering this. that today. And I was remembering the effectiveness of leather armor against, uh, you know, like, things like daggers or like slashing weapons versus of course it's near uselessness against maces and crushing two-handed uh, swords yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah that that kind of heavy weaponry of course made it, you were better off there was a reason why i always carried a two-handed sword you found it out yeah <laughs> not and it just wasn't 3d18 versus large sized creatures oh no it's that armor class table where yeah. all the advantages go your way because they better be wearing plate. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. And yeah, it may be slow, but it's sure. <laughs> go first. Go often. Um, yeah, and there was all these weird rules. And yet, here it is manifested in one guy. So, you know, Jolly oh. has done a massive amount of service to the uh, fans of the game. Oh, my goodness, yes. He's been a stalwart ally to gamers. Uh, and I don't think he's ever really forgotten that, like, that's where the bread and butter is. That's that's the fan base, the people that the people that truly enjoy what he creates. Oh, yeah. If you look at Gary Jackson, uh, <laughs> how he, like, mouths off to the fans and disregards them. I mean, I, I think there is a, a Jolly Blackburn's antithesis there. Oh, sure. Yeah, that that is his anti-self mocking, you know, doesn't care about anything. Just, you know, yeah, whatever. Just send it to the printers. That's what second editions are for. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, 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 oh, the player munchkining that goes on. The Hackmaster system uh, embraces one of the favorite quirks of uh, old gamers, which was systems that allowed the building of characters uh, with a point, buy, and cost system, where oh, by picking deficits, you could gain strengths. And it just throughout Knights of the Dinner Table, this is the rope which ultimately hangs the players on their own. They don't even need the DM to hamstring them. Uh, no, you know, that, that's the secret. Just, if BA just wants to get some revenge on the players, just let them have, just leave them to their own devices. They'll find a way. Yeah. They'll, they'll mess it up. Release, uh, just release the Kraken of their own desires against them, and they will sooner or later destroy themselves. The Bag World, the Bag Wars saga. Yeah. The, yeah. You no, know. Look that one up, man. <laughs> well, yeah. Now, this is what, uh, where it breaks us kind of home with it is that uh, in comics, especially self publishing, now, not that Jolly is completely self publishing, I mean, he has Kenzer Code help. But it's still a small game. He's not one of the big three or even some of the independents like Image or Dark Horse. But anytime you're doing what he has been doing for such a long time, reaching 300 issues, like with uh, yeah. Cerberus and uh, the Savage Dragon and I think a few others. I can't remember. The, there are, there are some a... older ones that have survived. Uh, Elf Quest was one of them. 
Oh, Wendy and Richard Peeney. Yeah. Um, when you reach 300 issues, which Knights of the Dirt Table has, there's a special... Oh, no, oh yes, I remember. Yeah, it's a very, I can't, um, it's a very small um, club. Yusagi Ojimbo ah, and Bone. I have remember also that got, from years ago. Yeah, uh, they have kept going and going and perpetuating their own comics without a whole lot of support, commercial or otherwise. And uh, while they are beloved by comic book geeks, they're not technically very famous outside of those circles. Jolly Blackburn, I would argue, is one of the few to transcend. I mean, I'm not going to get into service because it's very controversial, uh, especially with its, how its author ended up. But I'm going to respect the breadth of his work. And that's all I'm going to take in here. So if you think I'm praising him, well... You know, no, it's not but, exactly praise. It, I mean, you know... He's, he's done it for as long as he has. Uh, also, Eric Larson and the Savage Dragon and a few others. Have, and uh, also Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from where it started out here at uh, Michigan. <laughs> yep, uh, just bugging that one, local boys. Um, <laughs> no, the, there's a there's a big sign when you can go 300 issues, and they have. And there's so much story in there that we can't even touch on it without having to drag ourselves down with it. The weight of it alone is beyond us. It's like an yeah, iceberg. We, we, we you could see not, it? We can't even give a snapshot of the entire story so far. Uh, we could only make a few references to a few particular jokes uh, that were among the early things that drew our attention, that, that made us stop and laugh and then show it to our friends. And, hey, you know, virally, uh, it just traveled from gamer to gamer. Have you heard of Knights at the Dinner Table? Dude, you have to check this out. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's been a sweet deal. Um, it's been, you know, a lot of fun, and it's brought joy to countless gamers, and it's rekindled for some. Oh, yeah. The love of gaming. I should mention, I mean, as as we're drawing to a close on this, I should mention that uh, Jolly started doing this in the 90s. And, uh, you know, second edition had, I believe, at about the time that uh, he was really getting underway with this, second edition was gone and third edition had begun. Uh well, yeah, second edition was just right at that last part. I mean, yeah. they had brought uh, it into Dragon, the pages of Dragon Magazine. Yeah, Dragon Magazine 226 is when uh, he began to appear as a featured artist in Dragon Magazine with Knights at the Dinner Table. Uh, joining the classic magazine that was... Like Mermy and uh, yeah, Snarf Quest. And- alongside the, the popular uh, comics that had, had been immortalized in Dragon for a long time. Now, at that point, uh, once third edition got underway, uh, he was like slowly building his brand. I mean, just, you know, consistently generating Mm -hmm. material. And then the fourth edition collapse, the great schism, uh, the birth of Pathfinder and things like that. Uh, he's been there through it all. Yeah, he's really like, you know, he's been there from the beginning and, well, he'll keep on being there until... And I think of him as terribly underrated. I mean, he he does not... Obviously, he was not there in the early days of TSR as like a member of the team. But here's a guy who has become a chronicler of the scene uh, who has also consistently generated, uh, you know, creative material on his own. Yeah. Uh, and fostered the ability for other people around him to get their visions out. I mean, that's that's a big chunk given back. 
So. Yeah, if you see the path that he's taken, it's led him full circle. And, you know, starting to want to be a kind of in the game industry to actually being in his own game industry. I mean, yeah. I mean, how bizarre can that be? Like, you're making, you're wanting to make a magazine and break into the gaming industry to be a big time game designer. And you end up doing so by making a parody version based off the comic strip that you made that made you famous i mean that's can, bizarre can you imagine poking fun at any other internal career and having that be your career making move um anywhere else you're like wait are you talking smack about us i'll get this piece of crap out of here uh amongst gamers <laughs> he points the finger and goes yeah this is the thing we do and gamers went <laughs> Oh my God, he's so right. Yeah, <laughs> that is great, dude. Where did you think of that? Uh, yeah, people worked. wrote in and said, "How did you? You know, do you have a camera in my uh, spying <laughs> on our game room? You know, our sessions. Jeez, you know, it's just like you know us." And it's because that type of archetype exists in every gaming circle. So, kudos to Jolly Blackbird for being there and. Not if he's not one of the great game designers of our time, which, hey, you know, I'm not going to take that away from him. Oh, but I am no. going to say he's the great chronicler. He's the great scholar and scribe that has humorously uh, tailored and chronicled our exploits and mishaps and successes he is, he is at our the table. Equally even handed, uh, affectionate, uh, and merciless bar. Yes, merciless. Affectionate but merciless. He, he, you know, he has he has been very candid about that which he loves. So we we certainly respect him, and we're incredibly grateful to him, both of us, for all the laughter that he has given us over the years. So yeah. this this one's for you, Jolly. Yep. And if you haven't checked out Knights of the Dinner Table, well, shame on you. You certainly should run down to your local comic store or yeah. If you just want to give a little glimpse of it beforehand, poke around online. There's some samples here and there. You can get a, a glimpse of. You know, plenty of the early and, and even some yeah, of the Yeah, there's some flash gifts still lurking out there, I think, before yeah. it goes, uh, that's up here pretty short. Assuming. Oh, yeah, before Adobe. Uh, yeah, before it. I don't, yeah. But, uh, yeah, go ahead, give a peek. Um, it's well worth your time, and it'll give you a little indication of what we're talking about, and you can you can make up your mind for yourself if you want to follow up on that and go track down some of the old material. Because uh, they do sell like uh, bundled volumes. Oh yeah, bundles that, of trouble. Yeah, you know. Well, it's you... back issues as long as they got them. I think that they uh, they continue to uh, keep them. They're not uh, super. Uh, all right. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, yeah, they're not super rare, but uh, you can oh, yeah. find them in places that will charge you an arm and a leg for them. But don't fall for it. It's it's just as easy to find them in other places as it is others. Yeah, don't don't fall for the Simpsons game store guy. You know, yeah, the Android's dungeon. Yeah, this this is genuine nineteen eighty two. You know, unsealed. You know, no, no. Can I look no. at it? Why would you want to do that? Then you would ruin its collectible value. But they were meant to be read. Yeah, it just you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not I should charge get into you that. slightly more for breathing the air around it. Yes, you're just even looking at it. You're. Your eyes are burning holes in the cupboard. All right, yeah, yeah. That, none of that. Don't don't fall for that. There are other ways to acquire the early works, and they're all much more. Yeah, you can priced. get them in uh, the bundles of trouble. Yeah, and I have all of those. Yep, because I may have some of the early ones, but I don't have the early est. So I, I fell back upon the bundles of trouble. 
do help me catch up. Yep, and that's how you can get them. So just don't. Uh, they, I think they keep those continuously in print. So yep. anyway, check those out uh, on Knights of the Dinner Table or at Kenzer Cove. Get them from your fine local game shop too, or comic store, whichever pleases you. But that'll bring us to the end, and we'll wrap it up, bring it home, and we hope you enjoyed this little rambling conversation about oh. comics, gaming, and art. I oh, mean, uh, although you know, I'll understand if you didn't. I mean, we are like the shifty henchmen of gaming podcasts yeah, you, know. you know it just uh, look you, low morale so, and somebody's got to carry use. the water yeah we're, we're probably shouldn't trust him with any more complicated task than that no <laughs> all right i so, need my special medicine in the brown paper wrapper boss. yeah i bet you so, do. <laughs> so all right without further ado we're gonna wrap it up and of course you can see us on facebook on the dice streaming page there and of course get us a hold of us on twitter at our usual haunts there so Without further ado, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.